This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall, and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gab, for Saturday, February 1st, 2020. Um, and this is the part of the introduction where I say something really, really clever, but really the only thing on my mind is this. I hope that everybody is safe from the coronavirus. Uh, I hope that everything is is going well with you in this uh, uh, chancy time, uh, whether it is overblown, whether the danger is overblown, or whether people are all too uh, complacent. I hope that you, our loyal listeners, and every member of your family remain safe until whatever it is gets cured and passed over. So welcome to the show, folks. Uh, Dornal, how was your week? It's great. I just got back from Wuhan, China. I tasted the most unbelievable dish. Do you want to know what I had there? It was soup, but it was made from bat. Can you believe it? Bat soup. I can believe that. I saw a picture of that this last week. Anyway, uh, I'm feeling a little under the weather, so I, I don't know what happened, but <laughs> it didn't sit so well with me. Um, did, you had a litany of problems. Did you want to? No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna <laughs> make everybody suffer as I have. Uh, it's, it's just a just a handful of things not going my way this week. It's no big deal. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, I just. I started laughing because at, at a certain point where so many things go wrong in a row, you just, I mean, what do you do? You, you can't, it's like you can't even complain anymore. You just have to start laughing. <laughs> uh, well, one of the things I'll mention, if, if I suddenly disappear, it's because I've lost power. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because you are in that vast rural wasteland known as Seattle. Yeah, the, the the infrastructure out here is just, you know that uh, I'm I'm being snarky here, but the infrastructure in Seattle is pretty questionable uh, in, in the whole region. Uh, I don't mind I don't mind dunking on on what I see around here, which is for a place that's been inhabited for so long, uh, and a place that's been so populous for so long, I am shocked at how poor the civil engineering is. Seattle's well known for its rain, yet I've seen standing water on many of its roadways. What are you going to do about that? I, you know, the thing is, I always pictured or always imagined Seattle as like this clean, high tech city. Yeah, well, that's that's your Shadowrun sourcebooks talking. There's what? a there's a great deal of Seattle that's sort of old and grimy and. I guess for a certain amount of people, that's charming. But uh, it also has its high-tech sections, newer uh, apartments and office buildings, the Amazon uh, headquarters, famously. Not one of their slave dungeon warehouses. Yeah, I, I don't know where those are. Um, well, no, it, it's just like the aerospace industry that's there. Boeing and and the other companies are just kind of you know 
the sleek new city of the the future. <laughs> that's that's what the big tech companies would like Seattle to become, but that's only been in the past thirty years. And even Microsoft is on the other side of the lake in Redmond, Washington, as as everybody probably knows. The the turning Seattle into this this tech paradise is uh, uh, yeah you heard the scare quotes there this cyberpunk dystopia is uh that that's sort of a work in progress the old Seattle sort of a working class uh, town with with its fair share of hippies for, from the Pacific Northwest so like fishing and 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 uh, Boeing. Remember, before yeah. before Seattle was tech, Seattle was uh, Boeing was the big industry here, uh, and even Boeing is <laughs> Boeing's doing everything it can to self destruct right now. Boeing is the air industry equivalent of like Blizzard. <laughs> Blizzard's a good comparison because Boeing's calling card for most of its history was very high quality engineering. Uh, their their stuff worked. It worked well. It was safe. That sort of thing. Um, so so Boeing with this seven thirty seven Max scandal is sort of showing its weakness, and uh, it's it's not the same company it was, and it's no longer the only employer in the area. Meanwhile, big tech companies are turning Seattle into a sort of another Silicon Valley uh, full of, you know, tech guys from around the world who get paid too much and increase demand on house prices and so on and so forth. Uh, it is what it is. Well, um, oh, we were starting, and I don't know if this is going to be a regular thing or not, but was there something you uh, something you hit this week, or you found, or you encountered that you love? Hmm. Let's see. I don't know. This is a tough week. I'm going to say that nothing comes to mind. What about you? Well, um, and this is entirely the fault of Cyberpunk 2077. So I came by this honestly. This is not just me suddenly making a left turn here. Um, they had a music video um, that they had put together because one of the songs for the next game uh, for 2077 is sung by Elon Musk's girlfriend, speaking of high-tech aerospace endeavors. Um, she's a singer called Grimes. And uh, the song, when I saw the video, I just thought it was awesome. I thought it was a great song. So um, I listened to it. I thought it was great. And I went to uh, check out the album. I've got an Apple Music subscription now, which means that anytime I feel like going and checking out somebody, I can just, you know, download their album or hell, download their entire music history and pick through it and find out stuff that I like. Well, she hasn't released an album in like four years, um, but she's got an upcoming one that's supposed to be coming out real soon. 
Um, and it's supposed to be a concept album and stuff. But the song itself um, and, and most of the songs on the album that it's in pre-release right now. So you can buy some of the cuts off the album. The song that was on um, the Cyberpunk 2077 uh, music video is called 4 AEM, only it's the Latin AE, so the letters are squished together. Um, I, I don't know what that's supposed to spell. I just looked at it and nodded and said, I like the song. It's a great song. The album is called Miss Anthropocene. Um, so if you want to ask me what I love this week, I love that song, and I really like the rest of the album. Oh, that's great to hear. What was her name again? It's Grimes. That's it. One word. Yep. Sort of like Madonna, just dirty. <laughs> yes. Um, and also, uh, just around the same time, if I could add something else in, uh, I downloaded, and, and this is why that comment earlier was not just a uh, hypothetical. I downloaded Billy Eilish's entire musical catalog from Apple Music, which basically is the iTunes store. Um, and just about everything she's done is really good. Uh, she's, a, she's a young pop singer, right? Yeah, she just turned 18. Um, she is uh, kind of creepy looking as a person, or maybe that's just the costume she was putting on for some of this music. But man, uh, she's got a different style than any of the music I've ever listened to before. She's going to be doing the theme song for the next Bond movie. And as soon as I, and I found that out after I'd, I'd listened to all her music and I thought, or maybe it was, I found that out Then I decided, Oh, okay, maybe I better check out her music. And then listening to all her music, I realized, Oh yeah, she's got the exact kind of style of music that typically a Bond film would like. Um, or at least the modern Bond films would like. The last few Bond film uh, themes, she seems to have to fit that uh, that musical feel, that musical sound. But Billie Eilish, uh, I like most of the stuff that I downloaded. So both of those, uh, both of those, you know, for me, really, really recent artists are in. Uh, uh, I listen to them. Uh, quite a few times. Yes, that's the picture. That's the scary picture. <laughs> yes, I I knew a couple of girls like this in high school. I <laughs> I didn't know Goth was still in. All right, hey, is Goth back? I, you are asking entirely the wrong fella. <laughs> All right, fantastic. <laughs> uh, now, last week you were really excited about a bunch of stuff you had. Uh, seen or, or did or read and and i had to break the news i'm sorry but i'm out of town this weekend and we can't do a show yeah i know you've been holding all of that stuff inside you for so long and it's just waiting to burst out onto the internet um before we do that uh i'm gonna need to take like 30 seconds of time to fix a quick technical problem you have a technical problem unheard of on the geek gab 
we haven't had technical problems in so long. Not like big ones. Not big ones. We only have little ones now. I, I love this the StreamYard. We've been using it since uh, it's been a few months now. Love it. Yeah. Google Google screwed everything up regularly, but StreamYard has been a-okay. All right. Well, I, I why don't you go ahead and do that? I will entertain our audiences with a, a short experience. And and I, I only have 30 seconds of content, so you're on the clock. Okay. I'll be right back. <laughs> um, I, I did go and see a movie, but I, I did want to talk really quick about the trailers. We I think we spoke last time about this, or I spoke about this, when we talked about how horrible the movies in the first quarter of the year really are. And uh, the, these trailers were no exception. I saw a couple of the same ones and a couple of new ones. But I wanted to, to point out there's a trailer for a new film uh, sort of a remake of an old film, an old story about the Invisible Man, and and the Invisible Man is supposedly going to be re-released or released sometime in March. And I I wanted to bring it up because of how uh, nonsense it looked. First of all, the trailer gives away pretty much the whole film. They uh, the the trailer it's a long trailer and it i'm sure it hits just about every major story beat in it so i don't think anybody watching the film is going to be surprised at all but the oh. main, the main thrust of the story is what makes it so stupid so i'm glad you're back dw uh because i think we've all had that you know uh, when your kids talk about, oh, what kind of superpower you'd have? There's always someone who does. Oh, I want to be invisible, so I can, I can do this. I can sneak around. I can get into the girls' locker room. I can uh, take what I want. That sort of thing. So, so the thrust of the of the plot is this: the main character of of this Invisible Man story is actually his um, horrible, horribly abused wife. Right, and and he dies at the beginning of the film, and so it's his, his, his ex-wife who's trying to move on from this abuse, but he's haunting her. And so this is the part that kills me. Would you, if you were to write a story about an invisible man, even a bad invisible man, a, a, a villainous invisible man, couldn't you do better as an invisible villain than just torturing your ex-wife. I mean, is this guy so small that he's going to use all this amazing power that he has? I, th I think Kevin Bacon did do better than just torturing his ex-wife uh, in Hollow Man, which in which he played an evil, invisible man. Oh, I missed that one. How did that go? I didn't see it, but I know that he... Uh, did a whole lot of stuff to a whole lot of different people. Yeah, I, 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 it's great to have an invisible villain that sort of ambitious. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, just as a thriller or like an invisible monster. But when you make it, this is a psychological thriller, but with a you know an invisible person. At, no, the second someone gets that invisible power, he's going to be like, you know what, first. I'm going to the girls' locker room. Second, I'm going to rob some banks. And third, you know, you know what I'm saying? Think big. What? Uh, third, I'm going to find out, 
you know, everyone's dark secrets and blackmail them all or whatever. Uh, even if it's even if it's for petty crime, you're going to think of some nefarious stuff to do, not just, oh, I'm going to I'm going to drive my ex actually mentally insane by haunting her as a ghost. I don't know. Um, Exceptionally stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the thing you mentioned right right as I was coming in was that the trailer gives away everything in the movie. Oh, and the movie's being dumped off in March. There's they so, don't expect anyone to see it. We were having this con- conversation last night on Twitter um because we just had the trailer for the next um the next Fast and the Furious movie just came out yesterday. So I watched it and then I immediately went out and tweeted out, hey guys, there's a new trailer for the Fast and the Furious movie. The movie looks dope. It looks great. I want to go see it. But whoever is reading this, if you're interested in the Fast and the Furious movies, this looks like a great movie. Go see the movie. It looks great. Don't ever watch the trailer. Stay away from all of the trailers for this movie because they give away everything to the movie. Like massive spoilers, moments that are supposed to be like big surprises or big reveals. I mean, I could not count the number of things the trailer gave away that are not supposed to be given away until you get into the movie. Um, it was... Uh, and then somebody else came on and and had a pretty emphatic statement about what uh, <laughs> how they felt about that kind of uh, uh, that kind of event, and it's become more and more and more just common. And you look at it and you're like, why? Why, why, why? Uh, I'm going to read this. Uh, it's from the Gorn Lord um, on Twitter. Why the blank does every single movie trailer do that nowadays? Every single major film in the last four years has at some point dropped a trailer that is literally the entire film beat for beat condensed into two minutes and 30 seconds. I really don't get it. Um, coincidentally, uh, I, I'm pretty sure that the trailer for the new Fast and the Furious was right around three minutes or so. So he wasn't far oh. off there. Wow. Uh, it, it's, you know what, that complaint has been around forever. Uh, movie, uh, directors famously hate trailers and the, and the people that put them together for giving away too much. But a couple of these examples are egregious. I've, I've never heard of anybody... I mean, people take to Twitter over the dumbest things. I've never heard of anybody getting uh, angry on, on Twitter about a trailer. Uh, I, I was shocked because all the trailers gave away a lot that I saw. But the one for The Invisible Man, they just it was clearly the whole movie, some of the great moments that you won't sort of expect to see later in the film. Yeah, we're just going to spoil that. Have you seen 1917 yet? 
Yeah, I saw that. That was a great movie. That was a great movie, but now you know that the trailer absolutely spoiled a, a pretty important plot point because it's showing scenes from later in the film, and you're like, huh. <clears throat> I, I could have sworn this, this film started off with two soldiers running around away from the Germans, and that was a massive spoiler. Um, the What was really... And I think this just blew the whole movie up. And and again, we're talking about uh, this Invisible Man movie. It is immediately obvious if you watch the trailer that in the beginning of the movie, you're supposed to not know whether she's crazy or whether something is actually going on. And then halfway through the trailer, they show exactly what's going on and that she's not crazy. And I think they even show pieces from the final confrontation, like the final fight. Yeah. I mean, it, it's literally the whole movie in, in a condensed form. And I just thought, you have ruined that entire movie. Because with with thrillers like that, it's the buildup. It's the suspense. And it, even if what's going on is real... It might be a ghost. It might be some kind of psychic thing. You build in suspense by building in mystery and layering it on and keeping the tension high. And they have completely deflated the tension of it for anybody who watched the trailer because they gave away the entire game. Yep. Um, so it, yes, it's going to be this this one of those psychological thrillers that turns into a you know an actual monster invisible monster movie, but you don't get to enjoy any of those beats or transitions because you've already witnessed them in the trailer. Um, and this is the the <clears throat> ironic thing is that uh, one of the movies I saw recently, which is Bad Boys for Life. Um, it turns out after I saw it, the trailers I saw did exactly that. All the great moments in the movie, they put in the trailers. Wow. Every single one. And don't get me wrong. Bad Boys for Life is a great movie. It's much better than Bad Boys 2, not as good as Bad Boys 1. And I'm a fan of the Bad Boys movies. Fan of Will Smith, fan of Martin Lawrence. Um, but man, I was just so disappointed that they didn't leave anything, uh, to be truly surprising because things would pop up and you're like, oh yeah, that's a great joke that I already saw because I saw the trailer and it just, the, all the best, best parts of the movie were given away. So, are are they the best point scene? I've never seen the Bad Boys, uh, or, or this is the third one, right? This is the third one. Wow, yeah, I, I've never seen any of them, and and obviously, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence have a particular appeal. Is that the appeal of Bad Boys? Like you get to see two actors you like in a buddy cop movie. Uh, well, specifically, you get to see them in a Bad Boys movie. The Bad Boys movies, you know, they're kind of like Bond movies. Like, it's not just 
um, you know, seeing those actors that you like in them. It's seeing them in a James Bond movie. And if you don't have the feel and you don't have the look and you don't have the, you know, the vibe and the characters of a James Bond movie, it's not really a James Bond movie. Well, um, I, I, I was given the impression that it was uh, like le Lethal Weapon, like a cop movie. Would, can you tell me what a bad boys movie is? What does that mean? Um, it's about, and this is actually really important too, because this is the biggest drawback of the movie. It's a great movie. It's an interesting movie. It's a perfect bad boys sequel. They did it. Um, it's, and the movie doesn't sneer at the audience. It doesn't deconstruct bad boys. Um, the bad boys movie are buddy cop movies and buddy cop movies depend on two characters who are different, who are working together, uh, to fight crime. Right. Yeah. All buddy cop movies are like that. That's the formula because it works. Uh, cause it gives you tension between the two partners. Um, and so that adds to the drama or humor. Bad boys is cops, um, who are, there's a lot of humor in it. One cop is smooth ladies, man, uh, wealthy, uh, cause his family was wealthy. He's got a lot of money. But despite all that, he is a policeman. He goes out and, you know, goes hard for crime. His partner is uh, living on a cop's salary. He's a family man. He's got kids and his wife, um, and he's dealing with family problems during the movie. Um, and they're complete opposites. He is not smooth <laughs> at all. He, um, but they're best friends you know, they're brothers and they're dealing with really bad people. And it's, uh, the first two movies were, <laughs> the, the first two movies were directed by one of the greatest directors of modern times. Oh yeah. Very, very saturated colors, lots of car chases and, explosions <laughs> do you mean michael bay i do mean michael bay oh wow so they're michael bay movies um and then uh so so that's the mix it's a michael bay movie with two uh cops played by appropriate characters so the smooth uh, the smooth ladies man is played by, would you guess? Oh, the smooth ladies man? That'll, that'll be Will Smith. Right. And the uh, family man is played by Martin Lawrence, of course. Um, and it's just a combination of humor, action, um, and uh, all of that is just a really fun action movie. Um, the second one... The script had some problems. They dived into some weird stuff without laying it out or explaining it. It was just kind of off-putting. Um, but the third one is a return to form with some with one big mistake that isn't obvious when you watch the movie. It, it became obvious to me when I was thinking it over after. But uh, yeah, the third one is not directed by Michael Bay because he was busy working on Six Underground, um, which I also saw. 
Um, that was okay. It was a decent movie, Six Underground. But yeah, if you like the Bad Boys movie, Bad Boys for Life is uh, it's a great Bad Boys movie. Uh, now, I don't know. I didn't hear you mention the directors of this one. Uh, it sounds like they just got a couple of random guys who went to film school together to direct this. So, so uh, with like 10 film credits to their name. So they didn't have the sort of rep that Michael Bay does. Yeah. I have no idea who directed the movie. I wasn't even paying attention. The funny thing was, is, um, and this really like staggered me for a second when it came on screen, Michael Bay couldn't direct it. So they got him a bit role in the movie. That's great. <laughs> I, I was staring at the screen. I'm like, I think that's Michael Bay. I swear to heaven, that is Michael Bay doing that part. And so I checked IMDb after I got out of the theater. And, yep, that was Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah, I, I got suspicious because the the directors, it's a pair of directors, Adil El Arbi and Bilal Fala. And uh, Wikipedia is trying to tell me that they're Belgian, but but scroll down a bit. They're Moroccan-born guys who, uh, went, who who are uh, who are who went to film school in Belgium, and I guess they live in Belgium. But yeah, just some random guys who went to film school to direct this film. Interesting, uh, but they did a good job. They did a good job. Great. Um, so yeah, if you like the Bad Boys movies and you want another Bad Boys, this is a good Bad Boys movie. Cool. Um, and I liked it. I really did. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I was ready to not like it. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the first Bad Boys, are you ready to feel old yet? It was <laughs> 1995. Yeah. So we're, we're lucky that Martin Lawrence and Will Smith have aged pretty well. And uh, that, you, that you get to have a fun movie out of it. There was, there was jokes about them getting old in there, of course. Uh, not the not like copying lethal weapon jokes, but um, you know, uh, there's some humor about them aging and stuff. It was it was well done, uh, but the trailers have given away way too much of the movie, and I hate that. I hate it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, so you love you loved Bad Boys. What else did you want to talk about? Um, I also want to drop in what was bad about it. Oh. Um, it completely detonates or deconstructs uh, Mike Lowry's character. Um, it just, it, it breaks the character, uh, in my opinion. Because Mike Lowry's supposed to be the smooth guy, he's supposed to be... Um, this ladies' man, he's supposed to be, you know, chill. Sure. Um, and, and I can't explain exactly why, because it's a massive spoiler for the movie. It, it's literally one of the major plot points, major, maybe the major plot point, the biggest plot point surprise in the movie. But at one point, you learn that he did something that is so like out of character and that all of these good features about his character that you admire, um, Mike Lowry that you admire, um, just 
it came from something uh, really, really bad. It came from a just a huge, massive, and grotesque mistake, and it kind of strips everything away from him. Um, they just break the character in two, and it was it's painful. Once just just it. for the just for the plot point, just for the drama. Yeah, and it might have worked done a different way, but and, and, and I didn't notice it while I was watching the movie, or I didn't think about it, because the movie's moving so quick, but afterwards, I'm just like, nah, that's that's bad. But they broke the character of Mike Lowry, and it, it's really disappointing. There's a lot of that going around, but it's really disappointing. That's too bad. So I and and I'd like to do a deep discussion of it, but I just uh, it's too new right now. The movie just came out. I want to give people who like Bad Boys a chance to go watch it because uh, it is Bad Boys Three is a great movie, and uh, Bad Boys One is one of the legendary '90s action movies. I mean, you have The Rock, um, Bad Boys, Mission Impossible. Um, they're just some some landmark action movies that came out in the nineties. Yeah. That was, that was the, the age of Michael Bay action yeah. movies. Wow. Well, that's a shame, but uh, you did like it. I did like it. Yes. Cool. Um, yeah. Uh, is there anything else waiting to burst forth? Um, there are other movies I saw we can talk about, but uh, of course, you also saw a movie, and we can talk about that whenever you want to, too. That'll be great. Might as well. Uh, as you know, I went and saw The Gentleman, because have you ever seen the all the Guy Ritchie gangster movies, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and Snatch? Uh, I've seen a few of them, but not all of them. But I should have already, because uh, he's a phenomenal director, and the ones I have seen have been just great. Yeah, uh, lock, <laughs> it's stock, a and shame that I haven't seen them. Uh, you should. I, I've seen the the big ones. I've seen Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and Snatch, and and this one. Uh, I missed his. I mean, he he recently did King Arthur too, but I I don't think that one counts. That one I saw. <laughs> so I was really excited. He, didn't he even also though, do the uh, the Sherlock Holmes movies? Yeah, he did the Sherlock Holmes movies with the ones with Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes with the weird stop slow motion fight <laughs> scenes. Yeah, this is a really strange take on Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> but that's his thing. He does weird, strange, fun things with movies. He's sort of got his, his own distinct style. I was excited to find out that he came out with a new one. Uh, and, and yes, it's not really critically acclaimed, and it's been dumped off in America in January, so I wasn't expecting much. But what can I say? It's a gangster movie done by Guy Ritchie. It 
has its own weird quirks in the way it tells stories. It doesn't play everything straight like a traditional film. It's got a really, I want to say, an awkward start where the framing story is a private investigator who's got a bunch of dirt on all the major characters in the film. And so he's telling his story. Hey, this is what I know. So that he can blackmail one of the characters. So that's a fun framing story. And they do some sort of awkward cuts and and uh, not quite a fourth wall break, but a really strange uh, introduction to the actual story itself. Uh, so what... I want to say is that that beginning sort of sets up an, uh, awkwardly because there's no main characters. Uh, I'm sorry, no no protagonist is what I mean to say. In Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, you're introduced right away to the four young guys who are about to get in a whole lot of trouble, right? Yeah. And uh, And you sort of follow their story. And snatch. It's the uh, two guys w- who are who have have trouble with their boxer. They've got a they've got a, a boxer. They're trying to hustle for some cash, and everything blows up in their face, right? And at times you do follow the other main characters, and and so it all comes together at the end. And in this one, it doesn't feel like you've got a main protagonist. So that's uh, that made it difficult to get into at the beginning. But once you get past the, 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 the awkward start and the dialogue, and after all the characters that are, are going to uh, inevitably collide with each other are introduced, then the story really gets going. And, and it was really engrossing throughout the rest of the film. You've got uh, American expat played by Matthew McConaughey, who's a drug kingpin. And uh, you've got the over-the-top, slimy Jewish rival who's uh, trying to, you know, who's who's offering to purchase the drug empire. You've got rival drug empires, uh, uh, street gangs, uh, hilarious uh, group of uh, MMA training kids <laughs> with Colin Farrell. Yeah, uh, yeah, Bryce. Hugh Grant was uh, had a nice cameo as the investigator, and he was nearly unrecognizable at the beginning of the film. It was it wasn't until his his first real good close up that you go, "Oh, hey, that's Hugh Grant." Um, all the characters. Uh, w- once they're introduced and the story gets going, like I said, it becomes very involved because there's uh, everybody has their own angle on on this this drug empire that Matthew McConaughey is actually trying to sell. He's trying to retire, and uh, once everybody's motivations are laid out and they start acting and they they interact with each other, and of course, like all the other Guy Ritchie gangster movies, it all blows up. <laughs> Uh, at the end. Very entertaining. That's, I can't believe I was so concise. I'm good at this. <laughs> Done. 
<laughs> I really enjoyed it. It's not as good as his previous ones. It it does feel like, well, I guess I'm going to make another one of these here. I've got this great idea. Let's, you know, follow the Guy Ritchie formula and, and do this. And the lack of a, a protagonist, uh, like I said, it wasn't as engaging at the start. You don't have anybody to root for. In and the others, there's that one set of characters that you you hope they're going to come out okay at the end, right? Uh, sort of sort of a default character to take the side of. And they try to do that with one of the characters played by the guy from Sons of Anarchy, Charlie Hunnam. <laughs> his character, yeah. Uh, also, King, King Arthur. Arthur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so you you. You kind of are on his side. He's working for Matthew McConaughey's character, and he's he's the character to whom Hugh Grant's investigator is relating the story to, and he's he's part of the story. Uh, he's he's sort of uh, Matthew McConaughey's right hand man. So you kind of are following his story, but eh, you don't care. Um, he because uh, for him the stakes are very high and very low at the same time. You know, there's a chance he could be killed in this gang war, but also he's the only dog in the fight is that he his boss is empires on the line, right? So, yeah, but it's got a lot of that uh, funny humor, uh, that sort of dark underworld humor. I careful for those of you with sensitive senses of humor. He doesn't shy away from uh, having the characters exchange uh, racial stereotypes at each other or something like that. Uh, you know, they they definitely, for the, the rival gangster, the guy who's going to buy the Empire, they definitely got the, like, slimiest, skeeviest-looking Jewish guy they could to do that. He even has his... He calls his bodyguards the Mossad crabs. <laughs> <laughs> and in the... There's some Chinese mobsters, too, and they don't, they don't actually go over the top with the Chinese uh, uh, stereotypes, but one of the other characters makes fun of their accent in the film, in character, that sort of thing. Uh... Which was, um, I was shocked. I, I didn't know you could do that. I think you made the film last year in 2019. I had no idea you could still make jokes like that in 2019. I guess he can get away with it, that sort of thing. There's a great moment, and and I don't mind spoiling this. This is a great, great moment. Uh, Colin Farrell uh, plays coach. He's He's got this weird role in the film where he's a guy who just runs a boxing ring and he's got a bunch of young street kids that he's training to fight except that they're young kids who he's pulled off the street so they're always getting in trouble so they become part of it but the funniest thing that they do is whenever they're out causing trouble and getting into fights and things they carry multiple cameras and they all wear GoPros. <laughs> they film it all. They film themselves getting into street fights and beating people up. And then one guy back at the gym, one guy gets on 
on the computer rig and edits together a uh, hip hop videos and posts them on YouTube and, st and stuff. <laughs> it actually becomes relevant to the plot and it is hilarious. It, it, as soon as it's, you're basically treated to part of a music video in, in the middle of the film and it's hilarious. Uh, just the way it was introduced. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Sounds like an it, again. It sounds like a movie I uh, I want to go see that I need to go see. Yeah, absolutely. What what do I say? It's it's stupid. It's fun, and unlike a lot of the mindless popcorn stuff I've seen in the past year, it wasn't completely forgettable. <laughs> I liked it. All right. Do you have anything else, or should we move on to the lightning round? Lightning round. Hit it. All right. Lightning round. There are a bunch of different movies that I have also seen in the last two weeks, uh, including Uncut Gems, Underwater, Last Full Measure, Doctor Sleep, Terminator, Dark Fate, uh, first two episodes of Picard, and uh, an episode of Supernatural I wanted to talk about. So we're going to go down the list and do this in the lightning round because we're running out of time. <laughs> Uncut Gems, the Adam Sandler drama. Um, I thought that was a great film. Adam Sandler does do uh, an incredible job, turns in a great performance. Uh, the rest of the cat cast does as well. Um, and it's a really good look of the guy who is absolutely addicted and who is making his own life uh, crap because of it. So um, it is a heavy, heavy drama. Um, and... It is not a feel-good movie. It's not an action movie. But uh, I would recommend it. It's a good movie. Um, Underwater, the Christian Kristen Stewart vehicle uh, that would cost a hundred and something million, I think, or 75 million. Something crazy like that. Actress it, of the decade, Kristen Stewart. Actress of the decade. And didn't do very well at the box office. Uh, I went in with low expectations, and uh, I was entertained. That was it. That's the nicest review that movie will ever get. Yep. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I was entertained, and I enjoyed it. Last Full Measure is a drama about a guy who was waiting on a Medal of Honor for 30 years uh, who the men he saved kept on fighting and fighting and fighting for him to get the Medal of Honor. Um, it's a heartwarming movie about how that actually finally happened. Uh, in, uh, in 1999, he finally got that medal from the Vietnam War. And uh, again, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's a very... Touching movie, a very heartwarming movie, and uh, uh, it was worth going and seeing. I really uh, enjoyed it. Doctor Sleep came out a couple of years ago, and I just saw it this week. Um, and my feelings on Doctor Sleep are kind of complicated. Um, I feel like it should have been a horror movie, but it wasn't a horror movie. 
the book Dr. Sleep is a Stephen King book. It's a sequel to his book, The Shining. The movie Dr. Sleep is a sequel to the movie The Shining by Stanley Kubrick. So there's a lot of differences between the movie and the book. But one of the things that happens is that they give away all the bad guys. You get to know them as characters. So it's not a horror movie. It's more of a thriller movie. And they didn't do a really good job of thrilling it because um, the, the villains who are really actually several millennia old in some cases, um, they hunt down and eat the uh, spirit or mental energy or soul of kids who have the shine. And if you remember Shining, the shine is the psychic ability that Danny Torrance had and that um, Scatman Crothers uh, had. Um, by the way, Danny Torrance is a character in the movie. He is all grown up. He's an adult. Um, and you can see they deliberately make a lot of parallels in shots and stuff between the two movies. And uh, um, a notable part of the movie is shot in the Overlook Hotel. Um, so it really is an actual sequel. It's not just, you know, set in the same universe. This isn't a reboot or soft reboot or whatever. It really is a direct sequel. Um, and I was disappointed. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. I was disappointed that it was this thriller where you get to know the bad guys. They all have names. They all have personalities. They all have backgrounds. And you know who they are. They're, they look like just people, even though they're these, you know, 4,000-year-old um, strange things. They're basically psychic vampires um, who are supposed to be super powerful, but their threat and their thriller, the thrill of the thriller is reduced. Um, and man, this could have been a great movie. These could have been badass, scary bad guys who showed up and did things and disappeared. Um, and it could have been a really good horror movie, but they chose, and I'm assuming they chose this direction because Stephen King went this direction in this book. They just chose to tell you too much about the villains. I mean, one of the things we didn't see in Star Wars was what was in Darth Vader's underwear drawer. Okay. If you had, he wouldn't have been as imposing a villain. Got he, it. He would have been, you know, diminished. So, yeah, they diminished the villains, and I think that was a terrible mistake. And that's what was... Uh, disappointing about it um still there were some really good things in there 
Uh, actors turned in some really good performances, and there's some things to like. There were some elements that, uh, if you're a game master and you're building some campaigns, there are some elements you can pick over. But honestly, if you're a game master, uh, if you're any kind of good game master, um, there are elements you can pick out of uh, almost any movie. So, and I encourage you to develop that uh, habit. Terminator Dark Fate. I saw this week. Uh, is a ten cent pictures movie. Uh, ten cent pictures is a Chinese production company who's pumping a lot of movie into Hollywood, which makes the coronavirus not quite the worst thing to come out of China recently. Tencent <laughs> um, <clears throat> only marginally more dangerous than Corona Chan. Um, awful movie. <laughs> Even so, um, they did some good stuff. They did some things right. One of the things I liked is in the battles, uh, the Terminator, the Rev-9, is smart. He tries something, and the hero stops him, so he does something else that is smart. He jumps out to the back of a truck and starts climbing up. She hammers on his, you know, arms, and he has he's going to be knocked off in a second. So in, in, in which will mean that he, the good guys will get away. So he changes his hand to a blade and sweeps it across the tires and cuts the tires off so the truck has to stop. He does something, the hero counters, and he does something smart in response. And it wasn't just one time. It happened again and again and again. That's good writing. That's good, you know, action blocking. And they did a good job with that. Um, so what I'm saying is, yes, it's a bad movie. They did a lot of bad stuff in it, but there is still, uh, good things that they put into the movie. Uh, it was not entirely, uh, a waste of talent. Um, and I'm trying to remember there was some, oh yeah, the main, uh, hero protector, um, who is, uh, has popped up in a few things recently. Um, she is a human being who is cybernetically augmented, and she is designed to stand up to a Terminator for about five minutes, after which she is exhausted and overheated. She needs water. She needs time to cool down. And she needs a mix of drugs to get her system back under equilibrium or she'll die. That is a cool idea. That's a good idea. That's a smart idea. It's exactly the kind of compromise you can see humans in that dark future making. Um, and the way they cinematically depicted her cyberware, um, they didn't show a lot of it. They showed one x-ray that was kind of vague. You didn't see real depth. And a few times they show her skin getting torn open and you see the uh, metallic weave under it. That's her armor. And the metallic weave looks great. It looks plausible. 
You can see that being armor. You can see that looking like armor under the skin. Um, you can see that protecting her. Um, when she gets hot, her skin gets all red and kind of blotchy. And then it gets, you know, returns to a normal color. And she has these subtle white lines where you don't know what they're for exactly, but you assume they're for some kind of cybernetic something or other. So even in a movie as bad as Dark Fate, there are people who did good things and they had one or two good concepts. And so the entire movie wasn't a waste. Um, you can rightfully disdain the movie, but it's uh, uh, they still did some good things. And, and for that, uh, they, do, they deserve at least a little bit of credit. Um, and I saw the first two episodes of Picard. Maybe I'll give a more full um, review when I've watched the entire series. But the, Picard is the same way uh, as Terminator Dark Fate. It's overall terrible, but there are small good things that they did right. Um, in the midst of all the awfulness, there's small good things they did right. Um, and, um, yeah. I, I, I literally muted to blow my nose as you paused in, in your lightning review. So I apologize for that, <laughs> that dead air for a moment. Uh, that's it. That's the lightning round. That was amazing. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I'm out of topics for today, but it has been a lot of fun hanging out, chatting movies with you today and everybody else in the chat. I really appreciate everybody uh, hanging out live, talking about, we were talking about Guy Ritchie and Quentin Tarantino and other stuff uh, in the chat during this uh, episode. And I really appreciate it. Is it my turn? Go ahead. Time to go. Um, I just want to say this. Um, as far as things I love that we started off the show with, um, if I hadn't been willing to, man, that sounds obnoxious and pretentious and lechery. Just let it out. Be no, sincere. Say it. It's crap. It is obnoxious and pretentious and lechery, and I'm not going to do it. I'm better than that. All right. Uh, I watched a lot of movies in the last couple of weeks and some TV shows. Unusual. I mean, I, I racked up a lot of movies. Um, but uh, most of them were were good movies, and the ones that weren't, um, there were still small gems in them that I could notice and appreciate. And uh, so I'm satisfied. I didn't feel like I wasted my time. Even watching uh, Dark Fade, I didn't feel like I wasted my time because there were good things I could notice and just take lessons from. So uh, I'm satisfied. Terrible movie, but I knew it was a terrible movie going in. Uh, I'd watched a review uh, on um, on YouTube. It might have been Doomcock or uh, The Critical Drinker, where they did a beat-for-beat beat of the entire movie. So I knew the entire movie going in. But even then, it wasn't a waste of time because I got to see some really good stuff that was buried in a really terrible movie. Because once you know that a movie's bad you can just kind of set that aside, or at least I can. I can just kind of set that aside. I know it's going to be bad. So that frees me up 
to instead of just, you know, frowning at it or moaning at it, to just look for what little pieces might be good in it. And it doesn't make the movie good, but it makes those pieces good. And I can look for, you know, the gems in the, in the mud. Um, and uh, for these movies, there was enough gems that, uh, you know, it, it was worth it for me. I'm not saying everybody has that same or needs that same approach. Um, I just, I have been working on uh, as a game master for so long, and I've been working on um, designing my own campaigns for so long or whatever, taking inspiration for stories if you're a writer or inspiration for a world background or whatever. The more different places you can look and find tiny bits of inspiration, uh, the more uh, rich your worlds might be. And like that cybernetic thing, I'm not saying you want to put that exactly in your book, but maybe it'll spark, spark your imagination and you'll think of something else because of that. And that'll help make a story. It'll become an element in a story that'll make your story better. Um, all I'm saying is if you do have the time, and maybe you don't, but if you do have the time, and that is how your creative mind works, um, sometimes it's worth it to watch a movie you know is going to be bad just to get to find out uh, the good bits in there and get some inspiration from them. It, it works for me, and maybe it'll work for you. So. Um, yeah, that's it. Thanks everybody for tuning in and listening live. Um, uh, thanks everybody who will listen to this show later, uh, on youtube.com slash geek gab. Uh, feel free if you like to give it a upvote, uh, click the subscribe and, uh, click the bell so you'll be notified as to when we go live, uh, in the future. This is geek gab. We broadcast live. Uh, just about every Saturday at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, almost always. <laughs> uh, we are also available on the Google Play Store, the iTunes Store, and on SoundCloud.com. Just do a search for Geek Gabin. You will find this awesome and amazing show. We have to sign out for today. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.